Good morning, Trinity Church. I got to tell you, it is wonderful to see your smiles today inside this room, isn't it? Praise the Lord. And if you're joining us outside or online, we're just so excited that we get to worship the Lord like we just did together. I'm just so grateful to Don and Emily and Keegan. They pretty much preached part of the sermon today. So can we thank them? <laughs> and uh, this week I was kind of singing that song that we just closed, and I'm just singing about being in the Lord's presence. And one of my kids just turned to me in the morning in the kitchen and said, won't it be awesome, Dad, when we get to be with Jesus? Whew. I was like, okay, he gets it. <laughs> he gets it. My name is Bill, and I'm the worship pastor here. I'm privileged to uh, take part in just bringing the word of God to us today. Our lead pastor, Todd Arnett, and his family is actually up in the high desert. One of their friends, a pastor at HDC, uh, their, their daughter's getting married. And so they invited him, come on up and preach in my place, please, so that I can just focus on that, and then let's celebrate. So they're gonna have a whole day of uh, just celebrating together with their friends, and Todd will be back next week. But uh, the passage that we're looking at today, the concept is critical. We are in a critical time in our culture where there are trends that have um, incredible influence and impact on those of us who align ourselves as followers of Jesus. And today we're gonna to be looking at that. And one of the things, if you've been around, which many of you have for the last 20 years or so, there's kind of been this disturbing trend in Christianity, which, which now they've kind of labeled deconstructing your faith. It's this sense of people start having these problems with the Christian faith, and, and so they start walking away from core essential teachings that, that we've been given in God's word and, and specifically through Jesus. This isn't a new thing. It's been around for a while, but one might ask, why would you deconstruct your faith? And if you're a college student right now, maybe a high school student, or if you're a parent of a young adult, you know that this is a major issue. And if you're a grandparent, you're probably praying for your grandkids because you know they're in this world that is just trying to draw them away from orthodox Christian beliefs. And so what we're looking at today is essential. And um, the problem is when people walk away from these things, they begin walking away from Jesus. And they might walk into what's called progressive Christianity, which instead of seeing Jesus as your savior who saved you from sin and who de de determines your allegiance, there's a sense of, I get to kind of make it up the way I want it. Jesus is a good example. And so it kind of holds on to the, the works side of Christian faith, but not the core beliefs of who Jesus is. And you think, wow, that's kind of scary. But this existed 2,000 years ago, and we get to actually see a story where this is exactly what happened. And so the question is, how can we understand and avoid this tragic trend to turn away from following Jesus. And I invite you to turn to John 6.
We're walking through John's account of the life of Jesus. We've been in it a while. And we got into this new section, kind of where we are in chapter six. We, we named the series Conspiracies, Adversaries, and Unbelief, because that's what we start see happening. People are challenging Jesus. His popularity maybe is starting to wane. People are wondering, is he really the one I wanna follow? That's what's going on. And we're in the middle of a story that started in verse 22. So Todd has taken us through two weeks of this story. And so I'm gonna catch you up quickly on where we are because right now we're at, we're at the, the height of the tension of what's going on in this story. And we get to look at how it turns out today. Okay, so if you, if you are picking up with me, if you have your Bible, we're gonna start in 22, but I'm just gonna give you a synopsis. Jesus has just done the most, one of the most amazing miracles to people they've ever seen. It's the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle that's in all four of the gospel accounts besides the resurrection. And so it, this is such an amazing thing that John tells us Jesus got out of there quickly because the people were gonna come and they were gonna force him to be king, okay? That's a pretty good response for Jesus, right? But for some reason, he didn't want it. He wasn't going after popularity. So Jesus sends his disciples across the sea. Um, they have this amazing encounter with him when they, the storm, and he, wa he walks on water, he calms the storm, they get to the, the other side. Well, a bunch, of the a bunch of the crowds are looking for Jesus the next day because they knew he didn't get in the boat, and they're like trying to figure out where, where's Jesus? We, wanna, we want more. And so they get in a bunch of boats and they go across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they end up in Capernaum and that's where they find him. He's in the synagogue teaching in Capernaum. And so they enter in and he talks to them and they ask a good religious question. What do we have to do to do the work of God? That's a good religious question to ask in a synagogue. But the, Jesus' answer is the absolute most important part to what's gonna play out today in our story. He says this, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. They knew he was talking about himself. So they said, okay, Jesus, we'll believe. Show us another sign. And you know what they wanted? They wanted manna. They want more bread. So they, he put, they push on him to, to do this manna miracle, do another miracle. Jesus says, the manna came from the Father, and those who ate it died. But if you receive the true bread that comes down from heaven, you'll live forever. He's talking about himself. And then he just keeps pushing them. The dialogue goes back and forth, and he keeps pointing to himself. You need the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life who's come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread and drinks they will never hunger or thirst again. And so he's pushing them for faith. He's pushing them to receive him, to see him for who he is. And he pushes too hard. Well, for some people, it's too hard. And that's where the story leaves off. He gets really graphic because he's trying to get these people to see it's me that you need, 
not the bread, not the miracle that I can do. You need what I have to offer eternal life. You need to believe in me. And that's where we pick up. But he says this, and it shocks them. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that's where we left off the story last week. <laughs> All right, so he, he says this startling thing that they're trying to figure out, and that's where we, we cut off. So here's, what the, here's the question we're gonna answer today. It's uh, up on the screen in your notes. Uh, if, if you want to follow along, there are notes in the back of this room. There are also notes online. You can access them easily through our Trinity app. How did Jesus' disciples respond when, to his offer of himself as the bread of life? And here's, we're gonna see two responses today. John is gonna contrast two responses, and the first response is many who begin to follow turn back, and they no longer walk with Jesus. Jesus pushed too far. He got too personal. It was too hard to hear what he was saying. Yesterday, they were, they were gonna make him the king, and today, they decide it's not worth it and they turn back, and, and it literally says they stop following him. They stop walking with him. I'm out. They go back to their old life. How tragic. But let's pick up our story at verse 60. On hearing it, this crazy thing that Jesus has been saying about him being the bread of life, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from this time, I'm gonna to skip to verse 66, and then we'll come back and we'll look at Jesus' response. But this is what happens in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer followed him. One of the first things that we need to do and Todd taught, taught this to us, is we need to figure out who, who am I aligning with here today? Who, who are in the crowds? And we know that we've got these crowds of people that just came across the river. We've got uh, the sea. We've got the, the Jewish leaders who are starting to grumble during this dialogue that took place over the last two weeks here. And, but today we're introduced to a new group, the disciples, his disciples. I don't know about you, but this is a little bit troubling to me that it says his disciples, many of them turned back and stopped following him. That's the group that we're seeing here, the first example. It says they are disciples. They say this is a hard teaching. They literally say this is a hard word. Who can accept it? And they turn back. So you have to understand what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, right? And this was a familiar term to the culture at the time. I think the Greek philosophers kind of brought in this idea of disciples where they would come under this, this philosopher, I agree with his teaching or her teaching and, and I wanna learn from them and think the same way they do. So discipleship was a well-known term. Even in the religious 
uh, culture, some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees had disciples. Paul himself said, I came, I'm, I'm from the school of Gamil or something like that. So he had the person that he had trained under. Does that make sense? So a disciple is simply someone that's following, listening, learning. And so these disciples had some type of a commitment to Jesus, right? They were following him. Maybe even these crowds that came across the sea, they wanted to be with him again. Maybe they were the disciples. The key is, is that there was some level of commitment, but when Jesus' teaching didn't conform to their expectations, they're out. They're out. Can we identify some ways that Jesus' teaching doesn't conform to our expectations or desires? How about Jesus' teaching about money? His teaching about loving our enemies? His teaching about hell? He taught about hell more than any, any other teacher in the New Testament. His teaching about marriage and divorce. What about his teaching about himself being the only way to God? It exclusively, I am the way. No other way but me. How about his teaching about forgiveness? 70 times seven. That's so many times. You need to forgive me. And I need to forgive you too. <laughs> if you and I struggle with Jesus' teachings, okay, we're going to go back now. We're going to see what Jesus said to these disciples. Here's the first thing you need to know, that it doesn't come down to his teachings. It comes down to who he is. Who is he to you and to me? And who was he to these disciples? So why don't you look back at verse 61. It says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Jesus didn't even refer to the bread of life conversation. He says, what's offending you is the fact that I kept saying over and over, I have come down from heaven six times. He said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And that's the first thing the Jewish leaders grumble about, is not the bread of life, but the fact that he said he came down from heaven. And so what Jesus is teaching here is the reason you're offended is because you don't believe who I am. If we believe who Jesus is, we're going to respond very differently to his hard teachings. Now, he says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was? He said, you have a hard time in the fact that I came down from heaven. What if you see me go back up, defying gravity? Maybe. But you know what happened? How did Jesus ascend to heaven? He was lifted up on a cross. The most offensive thing that could ever happen 
to, to a person in that culture was to be crucified. That's the path that Jesus took to be ascended back to the Father, was it went through crucifixion and then resurrection and then ascension. So Jesus is just saying, listen, it's all about who I am. So the issue here is not the hard saying. The issue is unbelief. It's not the hard saying. It's people who don't believe who he is. Jesus calls him out, and I'm sorry, I forgot to put this on the screens, but in verse 64, he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. So he calls them out. This is the problem. It's your belief or your lack thereof. This group of disciples who turn back and stop walking with Jesus do so because they do not believe. So this indicates that it is possible to identify with Jesus, to be a part of his group, to be enthralled with who he is and his miracles, and to yet not believe. And that's why Jesus says those disciples are having a hard time with his teaching. It's because of unbelief. And how does Jesus know that they don't believe? Oh, Jesus goes on. In parentheses, John helps us out a little bit. He says, John knew, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knew. He knows where we're at with him. How does he know? Well, he goes on in verse 65. He says, he went on to say, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. The Father enables us to come to Jesus. This is another thing he repeated, okay? So he's going back to this conversation he's had about being the bread of life. Three times he points out the Father's role in coming to him, the bread of life. And I want you to see this. They're on the screens. Verse 37, verse 40, and 44 that in, the, in uh, chapter 6. So let, let's read it together. All those who Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's pretty awesome. I will never drive them away. But the Father gives them to me. Verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Thank you, Jesus, for describing and defining eternal life for us. I will raise them up. Resurrection is what I came here to do. And you can count on that. And uh, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at that last day. So you see Jesus is saying, the Father is the one that you're rejecting. He's the one who sent me. He's the one who's drawing you, and he's drawing people to me. 
I'm not rejecting you. You're rejecting me. I want to talk to you, those of you right now, who may be struggling with following Jesus, because this is a little bit troubling, you know, and we're all at different stages in, a, in our understanding of who Jesus is, and some of you may be like those crowds. You've just heard about him. Jesus is not condemning people from coming to him out of, out of curiosity, out of interest, but what he's doing is he's pushing people towards belief. He's pushing them to say, believe in me. And here's the good thing, is the Father's the one who's drawing you to believe. And so if you're here today, and maybe you're one of these people, you're struggling with some of these hard things that, that we believe as part of the Christian worldview that, that the, the scriptures teach, I wanna encourage you, if you're here you must see yourself as one of those people that the Father is drawing to him, to Jesus. Jesus didn't say this to make someone say, oh, okay, that must not be me. No, he's telling everyone, the Father is drawing you to me. Pay attention to the Father. He's the one that's drawing you. And so I want to encourage you that wherever you're at, the, the Father is drawing you. It could be that you've turned away be in the past, but you're, you're coming back. You're sensing, I need to be closer to God. Let him draw you in. Or it could be that you're just struggling because of the circumstances in your life. They seem so incompatible with a loving and righteous and holy God. Then this is an opportunity. Those very struggles that you have or an opportunity to be drawn closer to God, to be drawn into Jesus. You see, the point of this passage is not to push you away. It's to draw you in. And so I would encourage you, just pray and ask the Lord to give you that faith that allows you to be drawn to him instead of walking away. How does Jesus do it? How, do, how does he draw people in? Look back at verse 63. And this, you guys, this is so, this is really cool. Verse 63 says, the spirit, this is Jesus talking, gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, they're full of spirit and life. You know, Jesus, when he, when he talks to people, he brings up this, the nature of his discussion. The nature of belief is spiritual, right? Remember with Nicodemus, right? He brings up the spirit. You have to be born of the spirit and of the water. This is a spiritual activity, and it's the Holy Spirit that brings about and opens our eyes up to the spiritual realities that we need to understand who Jesus is, to, to sense that the Father's drawing us. And so I love this picture. You know, when the baptisms were going, it was just so good when Walker paused, just be like, and the Holy Spirit. Do you think maybe that's why Jesus said that we should baptize in the Father, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit 
because the Trinity, the, our triune God, is involved in calling people, in, in bringing people to himself to be his followers. Isn't that beautiful? The Father draws, the Spirit awakens and enables us to see the truth, and Jesus receives, never turns away those who come to him. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. So you guys, when confronted with a hard teaching in God's word, don't walk away. Lean in. Lean in. Ask the question that Nicodemus asked, what do you mean by that? Get help to understand, how do I live this out? This is really hard. All right, there's no grumbling with the next group. So we've got two groups, right? The disciples, where there's a commitment, but uh, they walk away when the teaching gets too hard. And why? Unbelief. And now who's got, who, who are we going to see? The 12. Okay, they're our model. Todd shared that with us over the last weeks. The 12 disciples are the model of what true believe, belief looks like. And so here's the next point in our notes. Jesus' true disciples are all in. They're all in. I, mm, I love it. How Keegan, in the baptism story, he's wrestling to try and explain what, is it, what it is and what word did he use? Commitment. Did you hear that? They're committed. There's a commitment to saying, I am following you no matter what. So I would say, what brings us to that point of commitment? Whether we're 10 years old or whether we're 80 what is it that brings us to that kind of commitment? Because that's what we're about to see. So I want you to pick up at verse 67. Oh, this is good. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. There are three things involved in this statement, and it was kind of cool. I felt like Don and Emily and Keegan got all three. Are you ready? Number one, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You're the one. There is no one else. You're the one. Isn't that beautiful? Second, we, you have the words of eternal life, right? The people walked away because his words were too hard. Peter says, oh no, those words are eternal life. Only you have them. And then he says, we have believed and we've come to know you're the Holy One of God. And that was Emily sharing, right? This is who Jesus is, right? We have come, we believed and we know who you are. You, you guys, I think one of the most beautiful um, aha moments in studying for this passage was looking up the Holy One of God. 
because I had never seen that before. I'm like, that's not a very common title that, peop- that Jesus' followers gave to Jesus, right? They call him Son of Man, Messiah, Lord, but the Holy One of God. And Peter used that. It's very much a statement of, you did come down from heaven, by the way, <laughs> right? You're the Holy One of God. So he's saying the things that they're doubting, nope, we know where you came from. You guys, this is so cool. Peter had heard that one other time in his life. And guess where he heard that phrase given to Jesus? The synagogue at Capernaum. It's where he is right now. Jesus turns to him and says, are you gonna go away? They're sitting, it's like you're in this room Peter's remembering back to something that happened before that obviously gave him that sense of commitment. So I want to take you there. It's in the beginning of Mark's gospel. Mark wrote, the the scholars think he wrote the first account of Jesus' life and that Peter was probably his main witness. Okay? Okay. So what's the first miracle that Mark records? The synagogue at Capernaum. Are you ready? Read it with with me. I'll read it out loud. You can just read it quietly. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. You guys, Peter was still astonished at Jesus' teaching, he was in awe of who Jesus was. And so he gave this amazing answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? It's all you, God. It's all you. There's no one else. Many of you love this moment because this reminds you, this is the cry of your heart. You had a moment like this. Maybe it was a baptism moment. Maybe it was a teaching. Maybe you saw Jesus in a way you'd never seen him before. And you had that moment where you realized, I want to follow him for the rest of my life. And I want to say to those of you who've been doing that, thank you. Thank you for modeling a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus through the hard things as well as the easy things. I want to say a special thank you 
to my parents and my in-laws who are here today. The role that you've given to just stay faithful to God lifelong is a wonderful gift to us and to your grandkids. And to so many of you who have just continued to just walk with the Lord and serve the church and pour out your life and and obey these teachings of Jesus, whether they're hard or whether they're easy to obey. Your faithfulness is an incredible, incredible encouragement to my faith, to the younger generation. I want to thank the younger generation. I'm looking, I'm thinking about my son. He's 19 years old. Thinking about Chris, he's 30. When we as older people see you going after Jesus, it is so inspiring to us. We need, we need you as part of this body because you remind us, you remind us of what it looks like for Jesus to be your first love. We can't ever lose that. So thank you. We're with you in this. Let's walk it together, all generations. When I was 16 years old, I made the decision to be baptized. And the reason was because I realized there's a cost to discipleship. This isn't just me being in a club. This is me willing to lay down my life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's what true discipleship is. And as we get towards the end of this message today, I think the reason why, one reason why, so many people might deconstruct their faith and walk away is because maybe our discipleship in the American church isn't really getting to the real issues of what discipleship is all about. And I'm not saying everybody. I just said I've seen it, right, in so many of you. But Jesus didn't just call us to learn from him. He called us to lay down our lives, to pick up our cross, and to follow him. Every one of those disciples did that, or did they? Ooh. Let's look back at how Jesus ends here. You'd expect Jesus to say, that a boy, Peter. But look what he says, verse 63. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? and yet one of you is a devil. Ooh, whoa. And John helps us out and says, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And that's where our, that's where our passage ends, kind of on a downer. <laughs> but I think this is our contrast, isn't it? Unbelief, belief. And I think Jesus is just saying, even my closest follower, there is someone that doesn't truly believe. He's calling that out. And I think it reminds us the danger of unbelief is the danger of rejecting Jesus. That's the danger. And so you think about all these followers that walked away from Jesus, and you remember after Jesus was raised from the dead at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, Peter preached an amazing sermon. How many people gave their lives back to Christ? 
through over 3,000, do you think maybe a lot of those followers realized, oh my word, he is the one. It's not too late if you've walked away from Jesus to turn around and come back to him. And I want to make sure that you understand that. Judas, he denied, he betrayed Jesus because of unbelief. Peter, who gave this amazing response, did he live a perfect Christian life? No, right? At the cross, what happened? Jesus, he's saying this again, Jesus, I'm with you. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. No way. And he failed. So I want you to understand that this, this is not about discipleship, it's not about perfect following. It's about believing in Jesus and then going from there. Right? Jesus doesn't give us a whole list. Like, you got to have all this stuff good and then you can follow me. He just says, believe me. Believe who I am. And then I have the words of eternal life. Receive me as the bread of life. And then follow me. And then we get our lifelong to figure out what's on that list, those teachings. Because a, a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus begins to look like Jesus. So my question as we close today for you is are you all in like these disciples were? And if so, what does it look like to be all in today? Because we all are being transformed and conformed more and more to the character of Jesus. Discipleship is a lifelong journey. And I wonder what that looks like for you. I'm going to tell you what it looks like for me because I've been wrestling with this. For me, as the Lord is saying right now, Bill, this is what you need more than anything. It's this. You need to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, Jesus, Paul says, have the same mind of Christ in your relationships with one another in the church. Have the same mind of Christ. Paul says this is what unity looks like. Have the mind of Christ. And what does that mind look like? How can I think like Jesus when I'm thinking about you? It says he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Jesus laying down his life is what makes me able to be a disciple in the first place. Because he put my need for salvation above his own. That's what Paul teaches, and that's where I'm being challenged right now is how can I do that with every single person in my family, in my relational world, in this church family right now. As I close, there are many next steps for disciples. I've listed a few at the very bottom of your notes. If you would say, I've, I've just never believed, we talk about the ABCs of, of salvation just as a way to remember how do you become a disciple? You have to admit that you're a sinner that you need the bread of life. You need Jesus. And then you believe. That's what we've been talking about today. We believe in Jesus. That he is who he said he was. 
And his words do give eternal life. And then we choose to follow. And I'm going to tell you something. I think the belief and the choose to follow is the two sides of the same coin. You can't believe and not choose to follow. But you choose to follow from right where you're at right now. And then you let God take it from there with you and lead you and draw you in. If you want to grow, a wonderful experience that we have here, we call it our next steps pathway, is the rooted experience. It's about an eight-week small group experience where you look at the basics of how you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'll start those groups up in the fall. If you're interested, just fill out one of those cards, a prayer card. Just let us know, I'm interested in rooted. We'll, get, we'll help you. We'll get back in touch with you. Another way is baptisms, right? Great next step for me. That's, what my, that's how I showed my commitment and obedience to Christ. If you want to be baptized, our next baptism will be at Forest Home at the lake, Lord willing, the second Sunday of September. I think. We have to say that about everything now, right? But I think we have that uh, on the books. And the third thing is, if the Lord has the words of eternal life, we need to know them. And so I just want to encourage you, dig into the scriptures, and if you need some help, we've made available to every Trinity person a resource called Right Now Media. And what that is, if you look on it, it's Bible study after Bible study, okay? You just want to dig into a book of the Bible or a topic. It's wonderful content that will help you to know and apply the eternal, the, the words of Jesus, maybe some of the hard words too. So, I'm going to invite the worship team out, and I'd like to uh, just pray. Here's the now what. Take Jesus up on his offer of himself as the bread of life. And I'm going to pray, and, and I'm, at the end of my prayer, I'm not going to say amen. I just want you to ask the Lord, just sit with him for a minute. Lord, what does it look like for me to be all in today? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for these words of truth, Lord, they're, they're so clear, and yet we know it's your Holy Spirit that convicts us and helps us to see things spiritually. And so I pray that each of us in this room would be in tune with the way that you are speaking to us right now. Thank you for that you are Father in heaven. You are the one that draws us towards Jesus. And Lord, thank you that Jesus doesn't turn anyone away.